Greetings, everyone, and welcome to 15 Minutes for Faith, Bible studies designed to help us increase our faith in Yahweh as the only true living God, the Bible as the only inspired Word of God, and Jesus as the only divine Son of God and Savior of the world. It was on that first Sunday after the Passover, the unexpected happened. He told them it would. Jesus even told them how. They simply refused to believe. On Thursday, Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem with his friends. On Friday, he was dead. His battered and lifeless body was removed from the cross and carried away. Friday night, it was there, undisturbed. All Saturday, it was there, under guard. Sunday dawned, the tomb was empty. What happened to the body? Jesus the Christ met death face to face and defeated it. The tomb was empty Sunday morning because Jesus was alive. Tombs are for the dead, not the living. And by his resurrection, every claim Jesus made regarding his deity was confirmed with power. He not only kept his word that he would be raised, but he fulfilled a thousand-year-old prophecy by David in Psalm 16. David wrote, for thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith in Him to be the Son of God. In many sermons in the book of Acts, the primary evidence for the divinity of Jesus is His resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that without the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is in vain. In verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Indeed, Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus the founders of Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and various other false religions made their claims of dying and being resurrected from the dead a few days later. Their bodies are still in their tombs. But Jesus boldly prophesied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John chapter 2 verse 19. And again in Matthew Chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus told the disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priest and be killed and raised on the third day. In view of such bold claims, everything Jesus taught hinges on the fact of his resurrection. If Jesus was not raised from the dead or if his body remained in the tomb just one second beyond the third day, then his claims are false and our faith in him is indeed vain. But if Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, as he prophesied, then everything he claimed about himself to be the Son of God is true. 
and everything he taught man about his returning to judge all men is also true. And we need to be prepared for his return or face the consequences. It is extremely important that we study and understand God's teaching on the resurrection. And equally important that we live lives consistent with our faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Let's now consider the fact of Christ's death. There cannot be a resurrection from the dead without death. Did you know that many people deny Jesus actually died? They teach this to support their theories about Jesus. But as one man as well said, let it simply be stated that we know more about the details of the hours immediately before and after the death of Jesus than we know about the death of any other one man in the ancient world. Remember that before Jesus was crucified, he was scourged. John chapter 19, verse 1. So cruel and terrible was the Roman scourging, which had no limit, by the way, to the number of times a person was whipped, unlike the Jews. Individuals often died during the scourging process. It is very likely, had Jesus not been crucified, he would have eventually died from the scourging alone. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul states, Christ died for our sins. In John chapter 19, verse 33, the Roman legionnaire, who would be an expert on such matters, saw that Jesus was dead. And so, he did not break his legs as he did the men beside Jesus. The apostle John personally witnessed the spear being thrust into Jesus' side. John 19, verse 34. John tells us, that the thrust spear was followed by the issue of water and blood. John 19, verse 34 and 35. Medical experts disagree on what was pierced, but all agree that the flow of blood and water confirmed Christ's death beyond any shadow of doubt. Nothing short of death is known to modern medical science which can provide this phenomenon. Pilate, the Roman governor overseeing these events, uh, believed Jesus was dead because Jesus' death was confirmed to him by the centurion supervising the execution. Mark 15, verse 44 and 45. While preparing the body for burial, Joseph and Nicodemus detected no signs of life. John 19, 39. In Mark 15, verse 45, the writer uses the Greek word toma, meaning dead body or corpse, rather than soma, the usual word for body. All evidence confirms Paul's words, Christ died. Let us say for the sake of example that Jesus somehow amazingly survived the scourging, crucifixion, and the spear being thrust through his side. He then somehow revived in the tomb, unloosed himself from 100 pounds of tightly wrapped grave clothes, eluded the guards, and then got away. Would any intelligent person, then seeing him, have thought him resurrected? How foolish to say that one who had just come forth from the grave, half dead, who crept about very weak and ill, who stood in, in desperate need of medical treatment, of bandaging, of strengthening, and tender care, could ever have given the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death and the grave, and, more importantly, the Prince of Life. Any attempts to say Jesus simply feigned death or swooned death 
are utterly foolish and completely contrary to the evidence. Jesus died. The Bible teaches that Jesus was buried, and the tomb in which he was buried was impregnable by the disciples. As in the case of his death, we know more about the burial of Jesus than we know of the burial of any single character in all of ancient history. While the Romans usually left the bodies of the crucified hanging until they rotted off or were eaten by wild animals, the Jewish practice based on Deuteronomy 21 was to take the body from the cross the same day and bury it. All four Gospels affirm that this practice was followed with the body of Jesus. We know from Matthew chapter 27, verse 57 through 59, who made the arrangements for Jesus' burial. The text reads, When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was a disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, John 19, verse 39. We know how Christ's body was prepared for burial. Linen cloth was wrapped around his body, according to Matthew 27, verse 59. This cloth was mixed with about 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes. We know about the tomb in which Christ's body was placed. It was owned by Joseph, a private burial plot, no multiple graves, therefore, since it was a private burial plot, Matthew 27. It was located in a garden near the site of the crucifixion, John 19:41. It was hewn out of solid rock, Matthew 27, verse 60. Therefore, there was no other exit, no back door. It was a new tomb, Matthew 27, verse 60. No corpse had ever been laid there, and so there was no mistaking the body of Jesus for another body. A large stone was used to cover the entrance, Matthew 27, verse 60. The, so the stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb. The women who had followed Jesus paid special attention to the location of the tomb and how his body was laid, Luke 23, verse 55. We know from Scripture that extraordinary measures were taken to ensure that Christ's body stayed in the tomb. At the insistence of the Jews, the stone covering the entrance was sealed with a Roman seal, Matthew 27, verse 66. Guards were placed in front of the tomb to discourage grave robbers, Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Through these means, the Jews made the tomb as secure as possible. As Paul said, Christ died and was buried. As we close out our first lesson in this two-part series, we ask the question, who moved the stone? One of the tomb's most impressive features was the immense stone that acted as its door. Matthew used the Greek phrase lithon megan to describe the stone. The two-word combination is the source of our English term megalith or megalithic, megalithic. Both Mark and Luke report that the four women who came to the tomb wondered who would move the stone for them. Mark calls the stone very large. How large is very large? While we may never know the exact answer, it is safe to assume that four women could, could not move this very large stone and needed help. And yet, apparently, the force needed to move this stone exceeded uh, the strength of four human beings. 
And so if these four women were unable to move the gravestone, who moved the stone? Is it reasonable to conclude that it was moved from the inside by a man who had been brutally beaten, scourged by the Romans, crucified, pierced with a spear from which blood and water flowed forth, wrapped in 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes, mixed with cloth? Friend, that is simply not reasonable. The answer to the question is in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. According to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 4, the moving of the great stone by the angel was an event of such magnitude that Matthew tells us the soldiers shook for fear of him and became as dead men. The impressive evidence from the tomb and stone may be summarized as follows. On Friday, at least four witnesses saw Jesus' dead body placed into a previously empty tomb. The tomb was sealed with a stone too large for four women to move. Jesus' presence in the tomb was acknowledged by friend and enemy alike when the stone was sealed with a Roman seal. On Sunday, the stone was miraculously moved and Jesus' body was gone. Tombs are for the dead and not the living. By his resurrection, every claim Jesus made regarding his deity was confirmed with great power. Thank you for listening to 15 Minutes for Faith. If you found the program uh, helpful, and hopefully you did, you will tell your friends and your family about us. Uh, we also welcome you to our services at 5051 Ponderosa Street in Columbia, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, and on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, there are Bible classes for various ages. Again, thank you for listening.